Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Redlands campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation, and our world. I'm sorry to interrupt all those uh, great conversations. I hope that uh, after the service you can keep them going. Hey, it is great to be here with you this morning. Now, why don't we pray? Father God, thank you so much that uh, we have the privilege of being in this space together this morning. We have the privilege of singing uh, incredible worship songs and songs of praise to a Father who we know loves us, sees us, is with us, is for us. Um, and God, I, um, I want to echo Jace's prayer and say I hope that this morning, God, you can be blessed by our coming together and worshipping you. God, I thank you so much for the privilege it is to open your word freely in this place this morning. And I pray uh, that this morning as we do that together, that there would just be a real sense of your presence amongst us, a real sense of your presence within us, And we would just really uh, engage with who you are this morning and what you have for us in your word. I pray a blessing over what we experience together this morning. And mostly, God, I am grateful that it's cooler today and the aircon is working on the week that I get to preach, unlike last week when Jason had to preach in the heat. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. That's a real prayer. Um, Would you turn with me, if you've got your Bibles, to Acts chapter 16. If you don't have your Bibles or a device uh, to look at Acts 16 on, the words will be on the screen. From verse 25, it says this. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken and at once, chains, uh, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. Well, we're in this uh, present series, as Jace said, well, where we look and unpack what it looks like to actually experience the presence of God and how we enter into the presence of God and experience what He has for us in that presence. And as Jace mentioned, some of us have been uh, doing some kind of a fasting journey over the last few weeks. We've been in the Word, we've been prayerful, we've been experiencing what God has for us in His presence. And as we continue that series this week, we find these two guys, Paul and Silas, in the center of a prison and finding it difficult to enter into the presence of God. And their response to that is to sing hymns, is to praise and worship God. And that might seem strange to you. And really to understand where these guys have landed, you need to understand the whole chapter of Acts 16, which is like this full-on, fully-packed, adrenaline-fueled chapter of the Bible. It's actually one of my favorite chapters in the whole Bible, Acts 16. So much happens in this chapter. And to really understand Acts 16, you have to rewind a little bit in Acts 15. And in Acts 15 is where we see the Council of Jerusalem. It's sort of the very first church meeting. And to understand Acts 16, you have to go back there. That's how the Bible works. You can't just isolate stuff. You've got to read it as a whole kind of thing sometimes. And so in Acts 15, we've got the Council of Jerusalem. We're at a point in history where Jesus has ascended 
to heaven. Um, he has come back to life, ascended to heaven. And he sent the Holy Spirit and said, I will be with you to the very end of the age, but you guys are the plan now. And the church is, is starting to spread. The message of Jesus is spreading. And the early church is starting to set up these little churches in people's lounge rooms and people's kitchens and in parks and at trees and stuff. And the church is spreading. The message of Jesus is, uh, is growing and flourishing and growing in influence. And in the midst of that growth, this guy named Paul, who was originally known as Saul, has this incredible encounter with Jesus. Paul was the number one Christian hater of the time, has this incredible encounter with Jesus and completely flips his life, puts his faith in Jesus and becomes the most prevalent Christian in first century history. And um, God says to Paul, Paul, I want you to change your life. I want you to flip the switch. I want you to come and work for me. And I want you to go and take the message of Jesus to the Gentiles. And Gentiles is just a word that means non-Jewish people. Because up to that point, really the influence of the message of Jesus had sort of been in Jewish culture, within Jewish culture. And God says to Paul, Paul, you're going to go take this message to the Gentiles. And so Paul starts to do that. And he starts to get on the road and, and start telling people about Jesus. And he sees heaps of people put their faith in Jesus. And uh, he is on his first missionary journey. He's been out there. He's telling Gentiles people faith in Jesus, and he's seeing this incredible momentum in the gospel. He's seeing this incredible speed of growth and, and people flourishing as they put their faith in Jesus. But there's still this group of people who are a little bit uncomfortable with Gentiles hearing the message of Jesus. And so they kind of get the Jesus thing, they've accepted the Jesus thing, but they think you cannot be a Christian unless you're Jewish. And so there's this group of people that come in after Paul, after Paul has, has preached and teach and evangelized heart out. People put their faith in Jesus. And then these guys come in and say, great, next step is to be circumcised. At which point all the men cross their legs and go, no, thank you very much. And they're undoing all the work that Paul has done. Paul finds out they call a meeting um, of the church leaders of the time to work this issue out. And it's the Council of Jerusalem. It's the very first church meeting in history. And the question on the table is, do you need to be circumcised in order to be a follower of Jesus? They hash it out. And in the end, uh, they, they decide fairly convincingly that no, you do not need to be circumcised in order to be a follower of Jesus. Thank you. Thank you, Council of Jerusalem. Everybody uncrosses their legs and sighs a breath of relief. Um, and they decide in this meeting, let's just make it as easy as possible for people to put their faith in Jesus. Jesus has done the work. He's been on the cross. He's died. He's come back to life. He's sent us out. Let's not make this more difficult than it needs to be. Let's make this as easy as possible. Paul, inspired by this, heads down to Antioch, says, I know what my next missionary journey is. I'm going out to spread this message. I'm going to go and tell people this is easy. All you have to do is put your faith in Jesus. There's no ceremony. There's no religion attached to this. This is just what Jesus has for you. It's a free gift. The church uh, gets him and his new traveling companion, a guy named Silas. They lay hands on them and they send them out on Paul's second missionary journey. And there is a lot of momentum behind Paul and Silas at this point. 
They have been sent out. They've got a purpose. They've got a mission. They've got the support of the church. They are on fire. They are ready to go. They have got momentum behind them. Paul thinks he knows where he wants to go, but God speaks to him and says, no, I don't want you to go there. I want you to go to a different place. I want you to go to a place called Philippi. Along the way, uh, they hear about this guy named Timothy. He's sort of this young up-and-comer. Paul says to Timothy, cool, I think you should come with me. I'm going to teach you the ways of leadership, of evangelism, of missionary work. By the way, I think it would be a good idea for you to get circumcised, which seems strange because he's just come from a meeting that says he doesn't, but he's not trying to trick Timothy. He just tells Timothy that that will make it a bit easier for him um, to be amongst people and to feel like he is one of them if he gets circumcised. Tim, Timothy agrees um, and they're on. Now they've got more momentum because there's a team of three. There's Paul and there's Silas and there's Timothy and they're sharing the love and they're sharing the load and they're praying for one another and they're spurring each other on and the momentum is great. And then before they get to Philippi, they meet, they have to go to the doctor, hopefully not because of a botched circumcision. They go to the doctor and this is incredible. In Acts chapter 16, verse 12, Luke, the author of Acts, changes the pronouns he's using. Up to this point, in up for 15 chapters of Acts, Luke, the author of Acts, has been telling it from other people's point of views. He's gone around and he's asked people what the story is, what did he say then, what did they do then, where do they go then, and he's writing in, uh, for, for other people. It's someone else's story. He's saying they did this and they did that and then they went there. And then in verse 12, he changes to personal pronouns and he starts using we. Then we went there, then we did that, then we saw this. For some reason, they had to see a doctor. And Dr. Luke heard what they were doing, heard what they were about and said, I'm in. Leaves everything behind, joins the missionary journey. Now they're a team of four. Now they're a team of four. Now there's Paul and there's Silas, there's Timothy and there's Luke and they are on fire. They've got momentum. They feel the spirit of the Lord just upon them and pushing them forward. They get in a boat and they head to a place called Macedonia where Philippi, Philippi might familiar if you've read your Bible before because there's a letter that Paul writes to the church of Philippi. It's called Philippians a number of years later. They get to Philippi because they feel like that's where God has called them to be. An incredible moment in Scripture because this is the first time the gospel, the message of Jesus gets to Europe. This moment in Acts 16 is the reason that we are sitting here today. The message of Jesus gets to Europe through this momentum, through this gang of missionaries that head to Philippi. And the reason that you and I are sitting here talking about this story, freely opening the word, singing songs about Jesus, is because these guys took the word of God to Europe where it would spread further and faster than ever before. They get to Philippi and they do what they always do. Let's go to Philippi, let's go to the town center. It's the Sabbath synagogue meeting there. It only takes 10 Jewish men to build a synagogue. If you've got 10 Jewish men, 10 men of faith, then you've got yourself a church, and they'll be on the Sabbath meeting in the middle of the town. They might not have a building, they might not have sort of any structure, but that's where they'll be. So the four guys, with all this momentum, with all this feeling of God behind them, head into the centre of the town, and they find no one. It's a ghost town. There are not even 10 people of faith in this town. They think, well, what do we do? They walk outside the town, they find group of women sitting around having a chat. One of those women is a woman wearing a lot of purple. Her name is Lydia. She is a dealer in purple cloth. She is, she has got some coins. She 
hears the message of Jesus, puts her faith in Jesus, tells her whole family, and all of a sudden Lydia is the number one financer behind the next missionary journeys that Paul and Silas and his team will go on. All of a sudden there is so much more momentum because they're starting to see success. They're starting to see people put their faith in Jesus. They're starting to see you know, their influence rub off on people and people are excited and people are just getting behind them on this and they're seeing success and they're thinking, yes, we are definitely doing the right thing. God is with us. Can you feel the presence of the Spirit? This is amazing. And then all of that screeches to a halt as we keep reading from verse 16. The momentum is fierce at this point. And then in verse 16, it says this, Once, when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, these men are servants of the Most High God who were telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and he said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the Spirit of the Lord left, uh, the Spirit left her, not the Spirit of the Lord, just the Spirit left her. What happens next is incredible. All of this momentum, Paul is so on fire that this, this woman who is enslaved, who has this spirit of fortune telling, which I don't even know how to begin to understand or explain, she's owned by men and she's following them around, sort of mocking them, being sarcastic sort of shouting about who they are. And Paul, with all this momentum behind him, knowing that the Spirit of the Lord is with him, turns around and rebukes the Spirit that's within her, and she's free. Verse 19, when her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and they are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet to stocks. All of a sudden, that momentum that these guys were feeling is thwarted. They feel like God is with them. They feel like they've got power. They feel like they've got authority. They feel like they have so much going for them at this point. Every day they're waking up and saying, how good is God? And then bam, something happens. Philippi is threatened at this point. The economy of Philippi is threatened by the mission of Paul. And all of a sudden, these guys who have been flipping stuff upside down and changing people and changing the status quo, they're an easy target. And so they take them before the magistrates and the magistrates say, beat them with rods, chain them up and put them in the center of the prison. Those feet that had walked from the council of Jerusalem to Antioch all the way on a boat to Philippi are now locked in chains. 
What now? What now? After all of that momentum, after all of the feeling of the presence of God is with us, now what? They're beaten, they're broken, they're chained up. Maybe they were wrong. Maybe God wasn't with them after all. Maybe they made a mistake. Maybe they should have stayed with the Jewish people where it was sort of safe and easy. This whole new place where there's no people of faith, it's sort of harder to get to. Maybe we should have just remained where we were. The momentum stops. And I wonder what, what your response would be to would be to that. After you've been beaten by rods, by a crowd, on the mission of God, what is your response in that moment? This is Paul and Silas's in verse 25, about midnight. It's actually these two words that, that stopped me in my tracks this week as I sort of started to prepare the message, about midnight. Two words about Midnight, And it strikes me because as we sit in this series on the presence of God and we look at ways in which we seek out and experience the presence of God, it struck me that it's often in darkness that we struggle the most to feel and experience the presence of God, right? When stuff's going great, it's really easy to say, how good is God? But in the dark moments, when everything feels lost and hopeless, when we're shackled to the floor of life, often it's not how good is God, but where is God? Where is God in this? You see, Paul and Silas, they had incredible momentum behind them. And Paul, he was truly being led by the voice of the Spirit in this. You know, if you read chapter 16 in Acts, you will see the Spirit really directs Paul. He's sort of in tune with the voice of God. They've got the encouragement of the church behind them. You know, they were being applauded and prayed for and sent out by the early church. And when we experience momentum like that, it's easy to feel and understand the presence of God. It's easy to say, yeah, God is with us because stuff is great. There's momentum. We're on the move. We're moving with the Spirit. Here he is. But I wonder if, like Paul, there's something that follows you around. At the peak of your momentum, at the peak of your relationship with God, is there something that follows you around? You know, maybe it's not a person like it was for Paul. Maybe it's an inner voice, a temptation a past transgression, maybe it's just the same old soundtrack telling you you're not good enough. The same old soundtrack saying this is not going to work. The same old soundtrack saying, who are you kidding? Why would God be with you? The same old soundtrack saying, stay safe. The same old soundtrack saying, who are you? Have you been there? Is there something that follows you around and at the peak of your momentum, you need to rebuke it? What is it that follows you around that needs to be rebuked? 
And if that wasn't enough to stop the momentum Paul and Silas were experiencing and make them feel as though they were lost to God somehow, then they're arrested and beaten publicly with rods. And I really hope that there's no one here who has recently been beaten with rods. You know, I hope that that's not your story. But you know, life happens. And sometimes we can feel so broken and so beaten up by life that it's really hard to understand where God is in all of that. Stuff happens in life. It's inexplicable. It's unfair. It's difficult to understand or even grasp at times. Paul and Silas are out on the mission field. They're doing God's precious work, spreading the message of Jesus. And they get beaten with rods and placed in prison. Where is God? Where is God in that? Surely, as they sit in the center of the prison, chained, blood dripping from the wounds, from the beating they've just received, surely their response to that is, have you forgotten us, God? Have you forgotten that you were the one that told us to come here? Are you bored with this? Is there something else that has your attention, God? Where are you? Have you been there? Have you faced midnight? Have you faced the darkness of life, beaten, broken with that soundtrack playing over and over again and wondered, where is God? Where is God in this? And what is your response typically? Because Paul and Silas's response is is remarkable. It says in verse 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open, and everyone's chains came loose. This is an incredible response from Paul and Silas. They're bleeding, they're in pain, they're in agony, and they've got to be thinking, we have made a huge mistake. How are we going to get out of this? And the Bible says that their response to the darkness, their response to the beating, their response to the stopped momentum is to sing hymns of worship and praise. They're in the center of the jail after being beaten to within an inch of their life. And their response is to sing. Their response is to worship. Their response is to praise. Their response is to lean into God and find his presence through praise. It's remarkable. It's remarkable that that is their response. And then bam. There's an earthquake. As they're singing these hymns, as all the other prisoners are yelling, shut up, there's an earthquake. And it's not sort of a coincidental sort of earthquake that just sort of happens. This is a sort of earthquake that unlocks chains and doors and all of the prisoners are now ready to be free. This is obviously a powerful move of the Holy Spirit. It is obviously a response to these guys in their darkest moment, crying out to God through praise and worship and the Spirit sends freedom. The Spirit sends an unshackling of their selves and and, and their situation. This is not just a coincidence. What kind of earthquake unlocks chains and opens doors? 
the jailer who was tasked with keeping them there realises what has happened. Maybe he was asleep, maybe he was, I don't know what he's doing, but at this point, he realises that all the prisoners are now able to be free. By Roman law, if you let a prisoner escape, then you have to serve their sentence. So when the whole prison escapes, you've got no other choice but to kill yourself. And so that's what this jailer does. He gets his sword out and he is about to put it through his heart, fall on his sword because that's the only option he has when all of a sudden he hears from the centre of the prison, don't do it. We're all still here. Maybe there's a little bit of blood on his chest because the sword was that close to piercing his heart. It's the words of the who's been arrested and beaten and keeping the rest of the prison up, singing all night. He runs to the center of the prison and here are Paul and Silas. It's okay, man. We're still here. And the jailer sees something unique, something different about these guys. And he says to them, how do I get like you? How do I become like you? How do I get what you've got? How do I understand this incredible peace that you have in the face of such darkness, in such adversity? And they say, it's easy, bro. It's Jesus. And the jailer puts his faith in Jesus in that moment. And he says, why don't you come home to my house for breakfast and meet my family? And Paul and Silas go to his house, tell the rest of his family about Jesus. They all put their faith in Jesus and the whole generation of eternities is changed. That family with Lydia will become the church in Philippi. They'll invite people into their home and tell more and more people about Jesus. And Paul will write a letter of encouragement to them. Years later, it's called Philippians. And then when breakfast is over and everyone's on a bit of a high. I've lost my way, sorry. I got excited there for a second. Verse 35. When it was daylight, an important part in this story is morning is coming. Verse 25, about midnight. It's dark. It's isolating. It's scary. It's the where are you God moment. But morning is always coming with God. The light has a way of always getting in. Verse 35, when it was daylight, the magistrates sent their officers to the jailer with the order, release those men. The jailer told Paul, the magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. Now you can leave. Go in peace. How are you facing midnight? How in your life do you face midnight? You know, I've got a real sense this morning that there are some of you here who it's dark at the moment. For whatever reason, maybe it's caused by you, maybe it's caused by others, maybe it's caused by who knows what. But it's dark. How do you respond to the darkness when you're in the center of a prison, feeling shackled to life? How do you find the presence of God? How do you enter the presence of God? Because when Paul and Silas were facing darkness, when a screeching halt to the goodness and the momentum of life and ministry came, 
they began to sing praises to God and saw a miraculous breakthrough. They saw a miraculous breakthrough. What are you facing in the darkness? And how can you lean into a place of praise and worship to experience the presence of God? You see, praise ushers us into the presence of God and brings blessing and breakthrough. And I think Paul and Silas understood that. I think Paul and Silas understood that when it gets rough, when it feels like God has disappeared, when it feels like God has forgotten your number, a sure way to enter the presence and the goodness of God is to sing songs of praise. It's why we do this on a Sunday morning every week. You know, it's not just for all of us to look at Jesse's glorious hair. (laughs) Worship is central to experiencing the presence of God. Worship involves surrender. You know, we're kidding ourselves. If Paul and Silas didn't have a little confab, a little conflab, you know, a little convo, where they're like, what do we do now? Silas is like, you're the leader, Paul. What do we do now? Like Jesus showed up to you on the road to Damascus. I'm just a follower. It's up to you now. And Paul's like, uh, I don't know, you know any good hymns? but they understand that worship is about surrender. We don't know what to do here, God, so the only thing we can do is lean into you. We don't know what's next, God, so the only thing we can do is lean into you. We don't know how we're gonna get out of this, God, so we surrender our situation and our person and our life to you. I don't know what to say anymore, God. I don't have any prayers left, so I am gonna call on worship. I'm just gonna surrender to you. That's what worship is about. When life is beating you up, what better place to go than, God, let me remember your goodness. Let me surrender. Worship puts our focus on Him. Worship puts our focus on God. When life is slapping you across the face and it's all you can think about, worship brings us to a place where we can put our eyes firmly on the one who made us, the one who loves us, and the one who saved us. It takes our eyes off our circumstances and the trouble and the waves and our existence and our to-do list and the problems and the sickness and puts it on him. And worship is celebrating who God is and what he has done. Worship is celebrating who God is and what he has done. You know, it's worth noting that Paul and Silas don't have any music backing them, as far as we know. They don't have Google to look up some lyrics of the song they've forgotten. They don't have a lyric sheet in their back pocket. They pull out and go, let's go to the hymn that we know. They call on their memory. They call on the words that they've remembered about how good God is. You know, Psalm 100 says this, Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know the Lord is good. It is he who made us and we are his. 
We are his people, the sheep of his pastors. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Worship brings us to a place where we remember who God is. You know, we're kidding ourselves if we don't think Paul and Silas were sitting in that prison and didn't start to remember all the times that God had been faithful. They didn't take themselves back to Antioch and remember the prayers of the people as they laid their hands on them and sent them out on the missionary journey. You know, they, they, we're kidding ourselves if they didn't have a conversation where they didn't remind each other that when they thought they were going one way, God turned up and said, no, 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 I want you to go. That we're kidding ourselves if they don't have a conversation about Lydia. Hey, remember when we got here and we thought there's no one here and then Lydia turned up and she was so open to the Word of God and she put her faith in Jesus and, and now she's with us, now she's for us, now she's spreading that Word everywhere. God is in this, Silas. God is in this, Paul. He hasn't forgotten us. Worship brings us to a place where we remember the faithfulness of God when we're struggling to see him in our circumstances, when we're struggling to believe maybe that he even exists or at best he is for us, worship brings us to a place where we remember his faithfulness, where we remember the times and the moments that he was for us and he brought us to where we are. My, I don't know how long you've been around church and been around sort of worship songs. I've been around, like, I think I went to church the, the first Sunday I was born. I think I was born on a Tuesday and then I was at church on the Sunday. And um, I don't know about you, but I've got a go-to song. I've got a go-to song that I let my memory take me to when I need it. And that song for me is Great Is Thy Faithfulness. You know, I, I pull it out all the time when I'm rocking a baby to sleep, wondering why on earth I ever had children. <laughs> Great is thy faithfulness. When I'm sitting on a plane and it's shuddering like this and I'm seeing lightning out my window. Great is thy faithfulness. When there's a situation before me that I think, how on earth am I going to get through this? Great is thy faithfulness. When I sat with my dad last year, as he was dying in front of me. Great is thy faithfulness. It's my song. It's a song I sing to remind myself that God is faithful all the time, every day, all day. When it's dark, when I feel like I've been beaten by rods in life, great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Would you stand with me? I don't know what life is throwing at you at the moment. I don't know what kind of colour life is like for you. It might be bright and happy. It might be like the middle of the day. The sun is shining and beaming on you. Great is thy faithfulness. Or it might be midnight. Stuff is dark and stuff is hard and you're wondering where God even is right now. Great is thy faithfulness. 
I really believe that this morning, God wants us as a people to experience his presence through praise and worship. So I wonder this morning, if you would join me in singing, great is thy faithfulness. I don't want you to be worried about this moment. We're, not, we're not actually not going to have any music, even though these, these guys are just standing here to look pretty. Paul and Silas didn't have music. They didn't have lyrics. They drew on their memory and their understanding of who God was to get them through midnight, to enter into the presence of God. And I have a real sense this morning that that is what God wants for us this morning. So I want to invite you to close your eyes and hold out your hands if you're comfortable and sing with me, great is thy faithfulness. You might know the words and I'd encourage you to sing them really loud and proud. But maybe you don't. The words will be on the screen if you need them. Or maybe you've never heard the song, great is thy faithfulness before. And I want to encourage you just to stand still. Listen to the words that we sing and understand that our faith says, great is God's faithfulness. Don't worry about who's standing next to you or who's behind you or who's in front of you. Worry about God in this moment. Think about what you are facing right now. What are you gonna face tomorrow? And enter the presence of God through understanding and knowing. Great is thy faithfulness. Close your eyes and hold out your hands. Let's sing. We hope you've been blessed by this message. If we can pray for you or you would like to take a further step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to connect with you. Please head to gatewaybaptist.com.au and click on Get Connected to let us know.